Greetings listeners and welcome. Welcome to the Tuesday, a Newsday, a podcast episode number 37. This episode of the Tuesday Newsday podcast is brought to you by uh, Bullet Rye Bourbon Whiskey. Happy New Year, listeners. I'm recording this podcast on the 3rd of January, 2021. I'm a big believer in chilling my shot glasses. Um, Because then you can have your whiskey iced, but you don't have to pollute it with water. This is the way. Um, did you make any New Year's resolutions, listeners? I did not, but I followed the advice of CGP Gray, who makes uh, a much better podcast than this one. And he's hyped on yearly themes. So I did set a yearly theme for myself, listeners. And I encourage you to also set one for yourselves. This theme is multifaceted, but part of it includes creating podcasts, so we shall see how that goes. Um, I have a a bit of a new setup, as usual. I feel like I can't truly record unless I've changed something about my setup. That's why I never record. Like, how often can you really change your setup? Um, I jest, listeners. (sighs) Anywho. Here's to a, uh, I don't know, a better 2021. How was your 2020, listeners? I feel like mine was okay. Like, if you had to put a letter grade on the year, like, what grade would you you give yourself? And I feel like I would give myself, like, a C. You know what I mean? Not like a great grade. So, that's a bummer. And I don't even think that's, that can be blamed on the general insanity that was 2020. I think if anything, the insanity helped me grade it on a curve. Because I was just looking back on my year and thinking, did I even do anything? And, I mean, not a lot. Not a goddamn lot. Anywho, enough ruminating. Let's talk about the UK. <clears throat> I bet those poor fuckers in the United Kingdom feel pretty silly. After they went and did a Brexit over essentially border security and then now all of a sudden the EU is like oh you know what maybe border security is something that will allow (laughs) and UK just left UK had a cush deal to being totally in the EU but still being able to print their own money 
and use the pounds, they had a cush gig. And they just up and left. It's like, oh, I could have told you that. I did tell you that was a mistake. I could have told them that. It's like you couldn't have figured out some sort of creative bureaucratic solution to spin your wheels while, you know, Merkel and co. came to their senses and realized, you know, some level of security is needed. You couldn't have figured it out for five years. <laughs> ah. Oh, well. It's what they get. I feel like... <sighs> the EU is the one nation that doesn't really feel bad about giving it uh, the old college try at conquering the world, right? Like, if you think about the nations who have given... Conquering the world a fair rip. Right? So the colonial powers in general, Spain, the UK, France, um, China, Japan. Well, I don't think they feel too bad about it. It's hard to say. My finger's not on the pulse of their culture as much as it is the other ones. Um, Germany. Did I say Germany? Germany. Um... Yeah, I guess the, the major colonial powers is, is, I guess, what I mean. And Holland, I don't think it counts with the East India Trading Company. They didn't try to conquer the world. They just tried to subject everyone to their, like, monopolistic trade. There's there's a difference. The, uh, the UK is the only one that doesn't really feel bad about it. They're just like, ah, them's the brakes. You know, I, we, we, we gave it a good shot. Got closer than anyone. But I guess the sun sets on the Empire now. I don't even know if that's true. You know, they still have random holdings, like in the Pacific. In the, uh... The East Atlantic. So I wonder, I wonder if the sun actually does set on the British Empire. But the, um... Whether or not it technically sets, the spirit of that saying is, uh... Is no longer accurate, Right? I wouldn't call in it, them an empire anymore, right? Canada and uh, Australia are certainly not British subjects, whether or not they claim to follow the Queen. And, you know, you also wonder, it begs the question, pleads the question even, what if the Queen, you know, deposed Parliament and tried to seize power? How would that go? be interesting I suspect that with the right you know excuse justification uh, it could be done which would be it should be interesting to see not a lot of absolute monarchies left but yeah those guys got owned with the whole brexit thing and you know you wonder as much as it's easy to backseat legislate and say, oh, they should never should have left. Look at it now. You wonder if if the UK had stayed in, if it had, would have dragged on for years before uh, a bit of a, a quiet pivot went on amongst the EU member states. You know, especially with, you know, Britain raising a stink, it's a little easier to, like, write it out making fun of them than to address the problem. It's hard to say.
but I really, I thought at the time, and I think now, should have wrote it out a couple more years. You could have figured out an interesting legislative solution, especially being an island. <sighs> Much like in Plague Inc., islands have a huge advantage in certain, right, certain things. Having a port is so crucial. Nations that are landlocked are owned compared to nations with access to a quality waterway. Right, that's why Russia's annexing Crimea and places like that. They want access to warm uh, ports, ports that are open year-round. It's also why they don't care about climate change, because they're going to make off well. <sighs> Interesting, too, how China suddenly has flipped their tone, you know? All of a sudden, they care a little bit about the environment when they realized they're not quite north enough to uh, have zero issues, uh, especially the population centers. Uh, yeah, those big old rivers that they certainly love to, you know, span with hydroelectric, hydroelectric dams might look a little different. The global average temperature rose a few degrees Celsius. <clears throat> and their Belt and Road uh, Initiative. If all those nations that they're taking over, taking over via, you know, essentially debt slavery or something, those are all, uh, you know, tropical and subtropical nations, places in Africa. They won't be too valuable if they're uninhabitable. So that's nice, at least. And then the other major nation, far enough north to uh, have a perverse incentive towards climate change, is Canada. Um, the funny thing about Canada is it's possibly the biggest collection of pussies on the planet. And I don't mean females. I mean people like Justin Trudeau. And I also want to sidebar here briefly, listeners, if you'll approach the bench. It drives me crazy how people will get up in arms about using pussy as a derogatory comment when they have no problem using dick as such. It's 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 a horrific double standard and a stand needs to be taken and here here a stand I am taking. This is why you come to this podcast, listeners. These are the hard hitting facts that you desire, you crave. I know this to be true. tell you this bullet bourbon it goes down so smooth but Canada Canada they are, the population centers are so far south that they kind of don't get to ride that wave as much also they care about the environment right as much as it's fun to make fun of them they do you know Go Canada for that. So, that's a good thing. So, listeners, let's pivot topics here to something nice and non-controversial. Uh, thoughts on the 2020 presidential election. <sighs> Do we think it was rigged? Well, I mean... 
I gotta tell you, listeners, using closed source electronic voting machines is uh, is fucking abysmal in terms of information security. Abysmal. Like if you follow hacker cons at all, even a tiny bit, you will know that at like DEFCOM this or that or whatever, those voting machines get hacked trivially. This is the nature of closed source software that's not, that has no incentive, that has no monetary incentive to be secure, right? So like some software, you know, can be pretty secure if the developer has an incentive, right? I.e. to combat piracy, to lock it down. But the voting companies, like the people who supply the voting machines, no one's going to pirate the voting machine software and sell it en masse, right? That's not, there's not a market for that. There is a market for fixing elections. <sighs> Did it happen? There's no way to know, right? You can't know. I can't know. Um, you don't have the the powers necessary to investigate this. That's what I find so disingenuous when people like, for example, Philip DeFranco or various relatively mainstream, and yeah, I do count them as such, news organizations will say there is no evidence. It's like, okay, yeah, sure, there isn't. I'll grant you that. But where would it be, right? How, like, are you investigating it personally? Or are you just accepting the word of the AP or whoever, right? I can tell you the answer is they're just accepting the word because how could you investigate? There is literally no way you need to have, you need to be able to issue subpoenas and shit like that. Right? So, that the whole like, oh my god, there's no evidence! It's, it comes off as super disingenuous, especially when it gets harped on over and over and over. It's like, mm -hmm, yeah, I'm sure there isn't. And there's not going to be. Whether or not there, you know, whether or not anything untoward went down, there will be no evidence. That's just the way of it. But I don't think it matters. At least not in in the case of the 2020 election. I do not think it matters at all. It, it, it's an interesting question, though. Would you accept a citizen at random over the age of 35? Like in the Constitution, it says you must be over 35 to be president. So a natural-born citizen at random over 35... Would you take that, open the mystery box uh, over, you know, the president? And not now, right? I mean, during the election, when you didn't know whoever you hated slightly less would win. You know, you don't know if the guy you hate slightly less would win or lose, right? Would you have taken, just been like, there is a third door. A citizen at random, right? Uh, and it's a difficult question. Because, I mean, what percentage of people would you say would be an improvement? 50%? I would say at least 50%. And I mean, there's a there's clearly a binomial distribution of, let's say, the presidential aptitude of citizens, right? If you pick, pick the person at random and then, and then assign them a presidential aptitude rating, 
on a scale of one to 10, clearly that's a binomial distribution, right? So the, the vast majorities are like four fives and sixes, right? And as you go towards the outliers, you get fewer and fewer. And ideally our political system weeds out so that we only get eights and nines or eights, nines and tens running. But that uh, doesn't certainly fucking seem to be what happens now, does it? But considering the binomial distribution of citizens, right? Which means a bell curve, basically. That's what a binomial distribution is, as I'm sure you know. <sighs> you gotta say, yeah, I would. Because I think a five would be a better, right? A, a presidential aptitude rating of five. It's gotta be better than what we have now. And most citizens, and like even a four. Would you take a four? I feel like probably you gotta... Right? Because, like, a four is not horrific. It's, like, slightly worse than an average person with average leadership abilities. You gotta say, yeah. So, if you say four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, right? All the citizens, right? You might hit, like, a CEO, a good CEO. That'd be an amazing president. Or, like, I don't know, some highly qualified military officer. You know, a true patriot who had you know, extensive leadership, battle-tested type, someone who'd never run because they understand how much of an ordeal the job is. Right? Or like some sort of idealist. I feel like an idealist would be better. Yeah, I think without question, citizen at random. I would take citizen at random, listeners. And that's, that's a, that's an indictment of uh of our political system and here's the thing about our political system is political disenfranchisement and apathy is a feature not a bug right this is not accidental and don't go blaming it on red team gerrymandering right it's it's a feature completely and you can be politically apathetic and still get roused out to go to the polls once every four years, right? That's a thing. But just sort of the general tuning out, and I certainly, me more than most, uh, have to put up my hand and say, yeah, this has happened to me. I just kind of tuned out, got bored, annoyed. <sighs> I just kind of stopped paying attention. And, you know, as soon as that happens, that's where you get, like, the incumbent reelected because the average person looks around and says, well, you know, most of the nation isn't on fire. I guess we'll just reelect the incumbents. And then you have people, you know, sitting in senator seats for 35, 40, 50 years, which is just not where you need to be. <sighs> How many people do you think got fired? After the 2016 presidential election, when uh, when they realized it wasn't rigged, or at least not as rigged as they thought it was, <laughs> you know, I can imagine a bunch of like, you know, hands to borrow a term from Game of Thrones. Too bad they only made four seasons of that show. But to borrow a term from Game of Thrones, like the hand, right? You got to imagine, like, if you're a billionaire. You don't, you're like way past the point of having personal assistance. You have highly qualified people, incredibly competent types, who you assign projects to, and those people 
have personal assistants and you know those people have personal assistants right there's like layers of them but how many like right hand man right hand woman you know right hand them i'm not here to like assign labels listeners right can't can't offend the canadians how many of them do you think got fired when civilians are like hold on it's not rigged are you kidding me we're letting these people actually pick presumably some and how many do you think that was fair to do to right you know could they should they be reasonably expected to be able to rig such a thing and what about people counter-rigging <sighs> i don't know but these are the questions that i ponder listeners anywho oh, what am i drinking to ah the buccaneers the glorious, glorious Buccaneers uh, to them making the playoffs and to Tom Brady continuing to torment the NFL. Oh, it's a thing of beauty. And another thing. I am sick and fucking tired of people shitting on Bill Belichick and saying... Oh, looks like the system was just having Tom Brady. It's like, all right, fucko. Number one, of course. Having the greatest quarterback in football history be, you know, your team's leader for the better part of two decades is clearly an advantage. No one's pretending that it's not. But also, because of the way the NFL salary cap works, you can't just make super teams year after year like in baseball. As players play really well, all of a sudden, they're worth a lot more money and you can't keep them all. That's just how it goes. That's built into the league. It's called parity, right? It's a function of the salary cap. It serves a few things, keeping the teams competitive and keeping costs down for the owners, basically allowing the monopsony that is the NFL to vastly underpay its stars um, by introducing salary caps. But the nature of these salary caps means that they were constantly, the Patriots, throughout their insane run, insane run, un, uncomparable in, in organized sports, right? Like the Mercedes Formula One team, who, if you remember eons ago from my last podcast I talked about in glowing terms, they would have to continue this dominance for like 10 more years to be like comparable to the dynasty that is the Patriots that was, I guess. Um, but the thing is, is that every year they mortgaged by like, basically by structuring contracts in such a way that they, um, bonuses pay out the next year, you can kick the can of your salary cap down a year or more. And, uh, save money this year and the patriots did that over and over and over uh they also cobbled together receiving cores out of nonsense so that they could spend money on their defense and just use tom brady to make their mediocre receivers look good you know sometimes they would get someone like um oh obviously antonio brown until that went sideways but uh what was that dude um, oh moss they had moss oh my god brady Moss was incredible, right? But most of the time, it was just a bunch of like third, number three receivers that Brady was throwing to. 
and he was just the greatest, and he made it work. And they had a solid O-line, and they spent money on their defense, and they found a way to win year after year after year after year, right? Any team, and it's been shown, right? right? You saw the Falcons in the Super Bowl, and they, of course, lost to the Patriots, but any team can make it to the Super Bowl a year, right? They can make the playoffs in a given year, right? Other than the Chargers, apparently. <sighs> but the, the Patriots were, you know, the consistency year after year was staggering. And eventually it caught up to them, right? And right as it was catching up to them, Brady jumped ship. And so all of a sudden, this year, the Patriots had no money to pay people and no Tom Brady, right? And everyone's now talking shit on Bill Belichick, like, oh, looks like Belichick had you know, nothing to do with it, right? Denying the genius of Bill Belichick. Like, how fucking dare you? Belichick was and remains an absolute football savant of the highest order. Uh, and it it enrages me to hear people just casually dismiss him, like Brady could have come up and ran the entire team on his own. Like Brady could institute across the entire team the attitude that certainly helped them maintain consistency year after year, right? Stonewalling the press. Ultra-low penalties. Patriots perennially had very low penalties. Uh, a, a stout defense, typically. Um, and just acting like that was all Tom Brady. No, it clearly wasn't. And he went over to Tampa Bay, a team which is now mortgaging its future to get a bunch of great players. And, and like, that's just how the game is played. That, that's what happens. The amazing part is that the Patriots were able to pull it off for, you know, what? 16 years in a row or something ridiculous? So, the next time uh, you hear someone besmirching the good name of Bill Belichick, feel free to tell them to go fuck themselves. <sighs> Moving on from one topic of vital importance, which is to say the NFL and defending Bill Belichick's honor, to another. Um, movies. Specifically, superhero movies, blockbuster movies, popcorn movies, that kind of thing, right? Your Star Warses, your Mission Impossibles, your Marvel 507, DC, this one, it's even grittier than before. You'll leave the theater with sand in your mouth. Fast and the Furious, this time they're even angrier, but somehow it's still a pretty decent movie. Jumanji, 14. You know, this time, <laughs> this time Kevin Hart and The Rock are conjoined twins with uh, Kevin Hart like hanging off the back of him for the whole movie. Do the creators of such films... And in particular, I mean like a beloved franchise. Which is to say, not a Marvel movie, right? Because the thing about Marvel movies is they're like pulp fiction, right? Literally just churned out, right? They pay the writer by the word. 
So if one is trash, no one gives a shit. There's so many, right? There's so many. And they're all like, when's the last time you actually enjoyed a Marvel movie? Be honest. Was it Endgame? It probably was. But like, oh. And like even more, when's the last time you enjoyed the last big CGI battle of a Marvel movie? Right? Was it what? Iron Man 1? They're so bad. They're so bad. The last battle of a Marvel movie. Right? They're absolute trash. Same with DC. Right? Your your Mission Impossibles are significantly improved. Um, same with Fast and the Furious, right? And that's the thing, is like your action set piece has to be an action set piece. You can't just film green screen, right? Not even film anything, right? Entirely virtual shots and expect it to look good. Sorry, bitches, the technology isn't there yet. It looks garbage. And even if the technology is there, it has to be done really subtly. Like I'm reminded of the ending of Aquaman with the army of crab people versus the army of mermaids. That looked appallingly bad. And it's even worse because the the first few action scenes were significantly better. The overhead fight uh, with the mermaid princess and whoever in the house, right? When the, it was filmed with all those interesting angles. And there was a great continuity of space. Surprisingly good continuity of space. Same with the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Continuity of space in your action scenes is what you're looking for. Right? The audience needs to have an understanding of where things are. In order for there to be stakes. <sighs> Second Aquaman action scene. I don't remember exactly which order and how many. But that chase scene through the buildings at multiple levels, fighting through that like Spanish village, it was great. You know, and there were probably a couple other action scenes that were acceptable. And then the ending with that horrific, oh, oh. Anywho, that's all well and good, right? Presumably, there was an attempt to make something enjoyable to witness. Presumably, you know, the director. The producers, the underpaid special effects workers building that crazy CGI, I say crazy, but not in like a good way, CGI mishmash, weightless battle of the end of, oh, there was like that fish battle too with like the octopus playing drums or whatever where he had a duel. That was mediocre. Um, But presumably they were attempting. To make something the audience would enjoy. As you would expect. Right? As you would think. Was their job. But then you, you take something like The Last Jedi. Where Ryan Johnson openly admits. Um, even before the movie came out. Right? So this is how you know he's being truthful. He said. If he felt like half the Star Wars fans hated it. He would have done his job. It's like, oh. Oh, I see. So you're making a piece of mass market media for Disney. And your feeling is that if half the fans, the entrenched fan base who's going to go out and watch this, if half of them come away upset, you feel like you've accomplished your goal? And so I ask you, treasured listeners, is that morally wrong, right? Do, do you have some sort of duty, right? Some sort of 
prerogative, some sort of mandate, right? Not legally or whatever, but just like socially to at least attempt to make something enjoyable. I think you do. I really think you do. Um, you know, it's one thing to miss the mark, but it's another to set the mark at half the people hating it. And then really hit that mark surprisingly well. <laughs> Why? Right? Same thing with the new Doctor Who. Uh, utter trash. I think it's more than fair to say. What, like, is that acceptable? You know, like, are you trying to affect societal change through trashy entertainment? Because that's not the way to do it. Maybe a bit. But it has to be, it has to be well done. It has to be quality. Regardless of whatever message is behind it. Like, you know, and I hesitate to use this because Star Trek people are the worst. But like the original Star Trek, right? quality entertainment also super progressive okay great work everyone loves it goes down in history as a fantastic thing and it accomplished whatever agenda you wanted to accomplish that's how you do it you make something good you don't make something you know fuck horrible same thing with game of thrones yeah it's 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 a grave injustice <sighs> Anywho, I got a pro tip for you listeners. Glazed ham. That's right. You heard it here first. I'm the first person to come up with such an idea. It's, this is not a thing. I invented this. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Glazed ham. Unbelievably easy. Unbelievably delicious. Um... Yeah, that's just that's that's the entirety of the pro tip. Take a ham, throw it in the oven, cover it in foil, cook it for most of the time. Take it out, throw your glaze on what you prepared. Glaze is like butter, honey, brown sugar, Dijon mustard, uh, cloves, nutmeg, garlic. Right. You heated that in a saucepan until it's like you know goopy. You also scored the ham prior to throwing it in the oven, covering it in foil. Take the foil off, open it up. Now the scores have created like this diamond pattern that pulled apart. Put the glaze just on the top. Like goop it onto the top and that's it. Don't spread it. It'll spread itself as it oozes down. Throw that sucker back in there. Uh, turn the heat up too. Turn it up to like 425, 450 degrees. Cook it for like 15 minutes. Pull it back out. Throw more glaze on it. Scoop some of the glaze that's run down to the bottom of the pan. Put that on top of it too. Throw it back in. Another 15 Take it out, more glaze on while it's scorching hot out of the oven. Right on top, let it goop down. Maybe spread this one out a bit, depending on how goopy you've created your glaze. <sighs> then let it like crystallize and crunch on there, and it's already been like like caramelized and scorched on there by the hot oven. You can even hit it with a broiler if you're feeling fancy. Or, I've never tried this, so pursue this at your own risk, treasured listeners, but you could take like a blowtorch like you would use for a flambe and scorch it. That might be a bit much. 
That might be a bit extreme. You might want to check out on YouTube, see if anyone's tried that first. Nevertheless, this will be extraordinary. Then you carve the ham, right? And uh, what you should do is take a, even more of the glaze. And like after you slice it, right? Or you have a pre-sliced so it's all spirally. Uh, you can like work some of it down in between the slices. Oh yeah, listeners. It'll change your whole perspective. You'll be sitting there being like, wow, nothing's the same as it was before the glaze. All right, you will, you will see. This is the way, the glaze. Speaking of the way, right, Mandalorian season two. Tremendously good, right? Tremendously good. It's, it's, and it's so good that it feels like a rebuke to other unpopular media, right? It's, it's watchable. It's, you know, easy to enjoy, but it's also quality, right? It's so, so good. It manages to make you, like, question the absolute evil of the Empire and, you know, think about morality in the Star Wars universe while still providing, you know, popcorn action and you know, plenty of baby Yoda and humor and stuff like that. It's fucking amazing. Uh, and you should watch it. Well, listeners, I think I'm, uh, I'm going to wrap this up here. <sighs> it's been good, uh, to talk to you again. I hope it's been enjoyable to listen if you're still listening. Uh, and if you are, I thank you for lending me your ears. Uh, I encourage you to to create yearly themes. Um, already mine has... I don't know, it's helped me contextualize my goals, I guess. Um, yeah, CGP Grey on YouTube has a, um, a video espousing the virtues of yearly themes. He does a far better job than I. You should check it out. Um, but yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I mean, look, we're three days in. But for me, at least, they have been three reasonably productive days, and I'm pretty happy with what I've got done. I've knocked out a few projects that have been like, <sighs> that have been like orbiting me, you know, like electrons orbiting an atom. I have these projects floating around. Like, oh, I should work on this and that. But they were always like, I don't know, a decent level of effort. And just kind of, I don't know, just kind of out there. And I've knocked out several already. And I fully intend to, fingers crossed, um, continue on this sort of trajectory. Right? Incremental gains. That's what we're about here, listeners. Incremental gains. Compound interest. <sighs> oh, and I guess uh, before we go, we should talk about cyberpunk. Uh, we'll save that for next time, listeners. I'll even write it down. Cyberpunk. Ah. Uh. Um, so I do think that is at last all I have for you uh, today, listeners. 
Uh, and once again, thank you for listening. And uh, just remember, I have spoken.